Thanks for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and in this episode, we're continuing our celebration of the 35th anniversary of Return of the Jedi by talking to Gerald Hone about his time on the Jedi set, performing as both Squidhead, now Tessic, and a Mon Calamari officer. This is Talking Bay 94, Episode 3, Gerald Hone. Today we're joined by none other than Gerald Holm, one of our favorite people in the Star Wars universe. Uh, Gerald played a variety of roles in Return of the Jedi specifically, and uh, not only that, but he's been a huge part of the Star Wars fan community. Uh, Gerald, thank you so much for joining us today. Brandon, it's my pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I know. It's it's nice being able to, to reconnect after last year. That was, that was probably one of the highlights of any convention I've ever been to. We, we probably talked to Gerald for an hour and a half, two hours, just enraptured by all of his stories. And it was, it was probably my favorite time. So uh, again, oh, I'm really excited to, to put that on, on tape this time. You're too kind, Brandon. Thank you so much. The thing is, I've got so much to say about Star Wars. I can talk forever. Well, well <laughs> let's see how long this, uh, this podcast goes then. I'm excited. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, let's just start at the very beginning, how you got your start in acting and in, in kind of this world. And I, I know that there's a lot of great stories behind that. Oh, wow. Now there's a book in there somewhere. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, for all the shy people out there, I tell you that uh, I was very shy when I was a child. Uh, lots of actors say that and lots of actors were shy. Uh, but when I used to watch old black and white films with my mother, you know, on a Sunday afternoon in Belfast, where I was born, Belfast, Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, that's when I became addicted to films particularly old films, old black and white films. And I knew I just wanted to do that when I grew up. <laughs> but I was too shy. I, I never did plays at school or anything like that. So I finished my education. I became a school teacher for three years. I taught French, German, and Spanish in Australia. We immigrated there when I was 16. And while I was at university, I started acting. And that's gradually how I got into the business. Mm-hmm. And I became semi-professional in Australia. And I knew what I had to do. I had to study voice uh, because then my, my accent was very Belfast still. <laughs> I still, Oka used to talk like this. So I did. I used to talk like a, like a wee Belfast boy. And you can't have an accent like that if you want to do classical theater and things like that. So you can't. I mean, now it's almost uh, fashionable to have an accent. Uh, and if you don't have an accent when you go to drama school, <laughs> you'll have one when you leave drama school. But in those days, we're talking about over 40 years ago, it wasn't fashionable, especially as my accent. It was uh, Belfast mixed with a little bit of Australian, because when you're a school teacher standing in front of 32 screaming derelict <laughs> children <laughs> who want to make your life hell, uh, you've got to be understood. So that's when my accent began to level out. But I realized enough that I needed to study voice. And that's really why I found a a course that that fitted me. And that was in London, where I'm speaking to you from now. Mm -hmm. So I came to London over 40 years ago to go to this drama school. Had to audition, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've been here an actor ever since. So from from drama school, uh, what was kind of the steps you then took to end up in Return of the Jedi specifically? I know that some of the connections you made through drama school and then past that kind of led to it. 
Okay, well, there are a couple in my brain, very Irish, Brandon. It just <laughs> went off 10, ten tangents. And I'd, I'd like to tell you a story eventually, which I told in Lexington. But mm -hmm. uh, let's bypass that for a while. <laughs> no, let's go straight to it. My first job after drama school was a mime show. Mm -hmm. uh, when I say mime, it was just acting without words. And it was based on a poem called J. Alfred Proofrock. So the mime show was called Proofrock. And that's where I met a guy called Desmond Jones, Des Jones, who a lot of us from Return of the Jedi know. He was a mime teacher and a mime director. And he came to see this mime show I was in called Proofrock, which we toured around Britain and throughout Europe. And we, we kind of kept in touch over the years. That mime show was, was in 1978 we first met. Four years later, I got a phone call from him saying he was putting together a team of people to work on a film. Didn't tell me what film. Uh, would I like to audition? It would be mime, not speaking. There weren't speaking parts. Uh, but we would have the same residual repeat fee contracts as all the actors did. Proper equity contract, mm -hmm. same terms, performer contracts. So I auditioned with lots of other people. Uh, I think it was the second audition. They told us it was for the new Star Wars film. <laughs> Uh, which they called Revenge of the Jedi, of course, which everybody knows. And eventually we were whittled down, we were narrowed down to nine people. So for those of you who don't know, I'm in the credits at the end of Return of the Jedi as a mime artist. After Ewoks, at the very end of the credits, uh, mime artists, there are nine of us. And our job was to, to bring to life creatures of Jabba's palace. And uh, some of us were going on to play what were called calamari men. Uh, so that's how I got that job, uh, that was through Des Jones. Sean Crawford and Tim Dry also studied mm -hmm. with, with Des Jones. So if you ask them the same questions, they might, might mention Des as well. And so after the audition process, and, and then you ended up on the set, what was the first set you worked on for Return of the Jedi? Jabba's Palace. Jabba's Palace. Uh, Jabba's Palace. And we didn't know it at the time, but they had started recording the week before us on the Sandstorm mm -hmm. set. Right. Uh, but we didn't know that until many years later. Uh, and most people didn't know that at all, right? Most people right. that deleted and it's gone. That's right. right. So we, we had a couple of days rehearsal. I was very glad to do the panel. Uh, it was the Jabba's Palace reunion panel in Lexington mm. uh, when I said that we rehearsed two days before we started filming. <clears throat> I think we, we rehearsed on the Friday and Saturday mornings before filming started on the Monday. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, Mike Carter, big fortune, he remembered that. And so mm -hmm. did Tim Rose, uh, which was fantastic because when we were given the parts, this is what Des told me. I remember it vividly. He said, you're going to be heavily featured in scenes with this new creature called Jabba, this crime lord. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we thought we were going to be heavily featured, meaning in lots of shots. And that's why we had two days rehearsal. It was just us in the Jabba's Palace set. Uh, the, the puppeteers, the mime artists, no crew, no technical people, mm -hmm. just a couple of other people. It was fantastic. And we worked out a lot of business, things to do when we were together. But of course, once filming started the following Monday and you get uh, the other actors, <laughs> you get the production people, <laughs> the wardrobe people, the, the electricians, the sound people, makeup people, helpers, extras, right? At one point, I think 180 people. And we kind of, dis we kind of disappeared. So, so 
I don't want to sound negative, and I don't want Star Wars fans to think I'm sounding negative, mm -hmm. but we kind of disappeared. And that's why we're not featured more, just because when everybody got on set, there were too many people. Right. But uh, use your imaginations, folks, and think what would it have been like if we, all our creatures, all our characters, had been featured more, which we thought was going to happen. <laughs> I mean, you know Star Wars fans. They'll pick up anything in the background or in the foreground. It doesn't matter as long as, it, as long as it's a great part of the story. Well, that's exactly right. Again, going back to Lexington a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. uh, there was this wonderful guy who got a hug. Uh, <laughs> he, he said to me, because people stand in line uh, watching me, right? Mm -hmm. And so they see how I use my hands. I'm doing it now, Brandon. You can picture it. <laughs> As I'm talking to you, my hands right. are flying all over the place. My arms are flying all over the place. And when this guy got up to me, he said, are you the Mon Calamari who can't work out how to work the lights on the wall? In the back. <laughs> this, this is during the Battle of Endor scene. Right. Just before Akbar says, it's a trap. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been various people who have asked me that question in different ways, including two girls, at, uh, which was unusual in those days, at celebration three in indianapolis mm -hmm. and they said to me they were giggling and i said okay what are you giggling about and they said it's you isn't it and i said what and they said you're <laughs> the you're the confused mon calamari who can't work out what to do i said yes yes that is me and what it is this is what uh, i tried to get fans to look at brandon mm -hmm. look when you meet actors or mime artists or puppeteers inside costumes when you meet them in real life you will see how they use their body. Mm -hmm. uh, so these people worked that out because they were watching me. They saw how I used my body. And that corresponds to the confused looking Mon Calamari. <laughs> so sometimes fans ask me, how do you know, or do you know who's inside that costume? And I'll say, no, they're too tall or they're too small or no, they don't move like, I mean, if you would put my friends inside black plastic bags mm -hmm. and tell them all to move, I would know which was which because I know their body language. I know how they use their bodies, whether some of them don't use their bodies. So they would be very still. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. How did you use your body language, I guess, for, for Tessic or Squid Face or Squid Head or whatever? It was Squid Face on set, right? That's and then right. That's right. I was going to say, how did you use your body language to, to inform that character? Okay, excellent question. Uh, the basic answer is, and this is what you're taught at drama school, though my instinct was before, before drama school was the same. So drama school reinforced this instinct. You take your character from the costume. So if you look at, and I think this is how they decided which of us was going to wear which costume, mm -hmm. because we were doing lots of movement in the audition. And uh, so they got to see how we moved as, as human beings without costumes. Right. And, and I, if you look at the squid head costume, it's very flowing. It's very graceful. Mm -hmm. I think the cloak was probably made of silk. I don't know. But it's very flowing. Also the skirt, not called a skirt, the tunic, if you like. Right. Right. So I looked at mm -hmm. that and I thought, right, I'm going to be as tall as possible as Squidhead. Squidface, Squiddy, you know, I was called all, all those things on set in 1982. So whenever the, the director said action, I would make myself as tall as possible. I'm doing it now. You have to picture it. <laughs> and I'm making myself about two inches taller, mm -hmm. right? Just by, by, if you stretch every sinew in your body, every muscle, you can make yourself two or three inches taller. Mm -hmm. So that was Squidhead. Now, the Mon Calamari, 
if you guys look at the costume, they all had little pot bellies, little round tubby bellies, all the mm -hmm. monkhounds. And if you try to see a, a, a profile of the costume, you see the back of the neck is kind of like a hunchback. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go with that costume and make it more hunchback. Mm -hmm. So so when I was the Mon Calamari, uh, I, would, I would stick my head out so my, my neck looks more arched and my back looks haunched and stick my stomach out. So there was one fan that said to me, how come you play both characters and yet they're, both, they're about six inches difference in height? Yeah. And I, show, I showed him that. If you do it now, Brandon, you know, stretch yourself up as much as possible mm -hmm. and then stretch your head and your stomach out as much as possible. You can make yourself look very, very different. This is a missed opportunity for a video podcast today. That's all I'm saying. We could have, we could, we could have really, we could have really elevated this a whole nother level. Oh, I'd need a bit of makeup for that. Makeup. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like uh, on set then, uh, especially with whether it was working with Marquand or whether it was working with one of the first, you know, assistant directors? What was it kind of like their interaction with all of the the denizens of Jabba's palace? Okay, well, first of all, well done, you. You're the only person. I've been doing events since 2003, 15 years. You're mm -hmm. the only person ever to mention an assistant director. Look at that. See, this, is why you come, this is why you come to Talking Bay 94 for the, for the real insight questions, right? Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Okay, well, the first assistant director on Jedi was a guy called David Tomlin, mm -hmm. T-O-M-B-L-I-N. And if you guys want to Google him and see what he worked on, what did he work on? Uh, Indiana Jones, mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. And he was actually the first AD, first assistant director, to win a BAFTA, a British Academy of Film and Television Arts. It's the equivalent of an Oscar for his work. And he was really the person who we dealt with mostly, mm -hmm. not Richard Marquand, the director, or George Lucas, right. who was often on set. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was Dave's, Dave Tomlin's job to keep us all informed what was going on. We were in a sort of different category because we were mime artists. So we had Phil Tippett's team. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Phil Tippett, oh, yeah. he was responsible for all the creatures, uh, except for the Ewoks and Jabba. They were, the, they were made by Stuart Freeborn, I think. You probably know that, uh, Stuart Freeborn. Uh, though once we were up and filming, Phil Tippett's team looked after them as well, mm -hmm. the Ewoks and, and Jabba. What a lot of people still don't know, when they were editing the uh, Battle of Endor scenes, mm -hmm. there was what we call a hole in the plot, mm -hmm. you know, an emptiness, a space in the plot. And there wasn't, they hadn't filmed the information they needed, which was the shield is down. Right. Which is a pretty, pretty vital part of, inf you know, that's a part of the plot that we need to know, isn't it? The shield is down. They hadn't in included any film that showed that. So they quickly uh, wrote two pages of additional experimental dialogue scenes, mm -hmm. which were going to be between Akbar and a speaking Mon Calamari. Mm -hmm. Now, at this production meeting one day, I found out later, uh, they decided, okay, but how are we going to find a speaking Mon Calamari? We have to go to agents, acting agents. We have to have auditions. We've got to book a room in the West End of London to have the auditions. This is going to take weeks. We need someone tomorrow. And there was a guy called Stuart Ziff, S-T-U-A-R-T-Z-I-F-F. If you guys want to Google him, he worked in all the original trilogy. 
while we he's in Jedi, he's he's credited as chief articulation engineer. Wow. And actually, to, to digress for a second, Brandon, you're going to have to watch my brain. It's digressing like mad. During filming, the the, the nominations for Oscars were announced, mm-hmm. and one of the Indiana Jones films uh, was up for, I think, 11, 9 or 11 Oscars. And there, in, in tiny little print at the bottom of the Oscar nominations was, a special Oscar will be awarded to Stuart Ziff for something he invented to do a stop-start animation, I think. Wow. Which is still, which is still being used today. Mm-hmm. So there was lots of celebration of that. Now, very often on set, you talk to the people near you, you know, your best friend, your husband, your wife, whatever, might be six feet away, two meters for our European mm-hmm. listeners, uh, and you might never speak to them all day, all week, however long you work there. You speak to the people beside you, near you, that's all, in very hushed tones. You know, you would whisper. <laughs> you wouldn't speak loud. Uh, that's just the way it is on a TV, film, and commercials set. So I happened to be near Stuart Ziff a lot. He knew I was an actor. He knew I'd been in the theatre in London just before filming Jedi. Uh, For 14 months, I was in a play in London. So when they said, but how are we going to find this actor to play a speaking Mon Calamari? He said, well, you've got someone on set, (laughs) Gerald Holmes. He already is a Mon Calamari. (laughs) You know, see him. So they did. Uh, Cut a long story short, I read for the part. And I went home that night with the two pages of script, uh, which uh, we filmed the next day. I, I'm pretty sure we filmed it. Mm-hmm. I know I know we said it. We went through it just once, mm-hmm. the whole two pages. And I assumed they filmed it. Yeah. But I've never, seen, I've never seen that film, so who knows. But just to finish up this off, Brandon, those two pages of script plus two call sheets which means what what was going to happen on the film that day, everything from what Harrison Ford was doing to what I was doing and everything in between. Most importantly, how many people for tea? Uh, (laughs) This is Britain, you know, that's very important. Right, you can download those from my website or from my Rebel Scum thread, which we'll talk about later. Of course, and uh, I'll link to that as well because I've looked at those and they are an incredible part of Star Wars history, right? Having another talking Mon Cal besides Admiral Akbar, um, and also yep. just your involvement in having speaking roles. So I, I kind of want to know, how, what was it like trying to articulate that mask when, you, when you're doing these lines? Did you even just like, you're like, you know what, let's just focus on the lines, or was there any mechanism at all in that mask to move the mask? Oh, you're so far ahead of me. You've thought this through. Thank <laughs> you. You asked me stuff nobody's ever asked before. The reason why, why they, these scenes didn't work was because my mouth was not articulated for speech, wow. uh, like Akbar's was. Mm-hmm. You know, a puppeteer would, would uh, in some shots, Tim Rose would work the puppet, right. Akbar. Uh, and I think when he was in the mask himself, somebody else, maybe Mike Quinn, I don't know, mm-hmm. would move the mouth. Uh, but my mouth wasn't articulated at all. So, so when I tried to speak, for example, one of my lines was, Sir, and they wanted an American accent, mm-hmm. uh, Sir, the shield around the Death Star has lost power. So the shield around the Death Star was lost by. So inside my mask, I was going, you know, trying to make my jaw open as much as possible. I was going, (laughs) that's what it sounded like. Just ridiculous. That's why they didn't use it. However, that information, the shield is down, had to be said by someone. Right. So if you look at that scene now, I, I, I ask fans, you know, who said it? Most people think Akbar said it. 
But some people think Lando said it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's a voice-off. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure it's a voice-off because they didn't have footage. They didn't have film to show this. I think they said, okay, let's have it as a voice-off. And then the camera quickly moves to Akbar to make it look like he's saying it. Mm. But if you look at his mouth, he's, he's not like actually moving. saying yeah. it. But you see, that I love that. Some people think that's, uh, oh, I don't want to know that. But I love that. Yeah, no, that's because movie magic, to, right? That's, that's Yes, it's movie magic. Exactly. Did I answer your question? I've got a feeling I didn't answer your question. but uh... Uh, We were just initially talking about the your work with the directors, and I think we kind of answered that ah. right with, with, with this. But if you have any other stories, you know, we always... Well, I would just say that uh, Richard Markman was the director. He didn't talk to us directly. Mm-hmm. It would always be through an assistant. Mm-hmm. And the only direction I was given about uh, Squidhead was uh, you're a bad guy. <laughs> uh, you, work for the, <laughs> you work for the meanest crime lord in the galaxy. Right. That's Jabba the Hutt. And when I came to be a Mon Calamari, I was told, okay, now it's the opposite. Right. Now you're a good guy. <laughs> and you were the nicest man in the galaxy, uh, Admiral Akbar. That was the only character definition. Not only were you on the Mon Cal Bridge, but you were also in the briefing with, you know, Carolyn Blankston and General Nadine and all of the, the actual rebels were all in the same room. And, and maybe you have some stories um, okay. from that set. God, where to start? Okay, I've remembered the other thing I was going to tell you. The monk, the uh, Battle of Endor scenes, before we get on to the briefing room scenes, mm-hmm. the only person who knew what was going to be in the blue screens behind us Moncals on the bridge, the only person who knew what was going to be happening in those scenes was George Lucas. So, so it made sense that he actually directed those scenes. Now, not a lot of people know that, yeah. but if you look at my thread in Rebel Scum, which we'll talk about later, I actually talk about that there. And I've got quote uh, five or six lines from a little book that came out in 1983 called The Making of Star Wars Return of the Jedi, which I don't know why they don't republish it. It's just a brilliant little, little book. It is uh, just as a side note, it is an incredible book, both that and The Making of Empire that came out with the the opening of that book, both of those are just incredible pieces of looking into the actual production. Those little paperbacks, which are on my shelf right now, actually, are just the, the best little things you can ask for. I can tell you, I've got it written down somewhere, uh, what page it says. Only George Lucas knew what was going to be in those scenes, Battle of Endor. So it made sense for him to stay on Studio 5, I think it was, and film scenes. Uh, I've got some photographs, uh, a new one, which was mm-hmm. made for me by a guy who works at NASA, Star Wars fans, the wow. Goddard Center in Washington, D.C. He was my helper for two sessions, Mike Morosi, uh, Indy Mike is his username, uh, on my thread, mm-hmm. if you're following it. He helped me, perfect using NASA technology, perfect one of these shots from the briefing room. And it in, includes Caroline Blakeston, Mon Mothma, Dermot Crowley, uh, Maydine, Nadine? Yep, Maydine. Maydine. Uh, on the call sheet, actually, they call him a different name. It's a different... Uh, he, he pops up. I was watching a movie last week, and he popped up... Um, in the death of Stalin. And I like had like a minor freak out in the theater. I was like, Oh, it's, it's General Maydean. This is the best movie I've ever seen now. Um, now that's, that's very interesting. You mentioned that because I was talking about that. Uh, they were asking me, you know, what are your friends doing? What are your colleagues mm-hmm. doing? And I said that Dermot is everywhere. Right. Uh, he's, he's in Luther. I don't know if you Luther with Idris Elba, who I worked with again, you'll see this on rebel scar with <laughs> my, my website. We did a children's TV series together, really? uh, Idris and I, in 1983 and 1980. No, 93 and 94. Uh-huh. It, I think it was the first TV he ever wow. did. 
And, you know, even then I could see, you know, what presence and what, oh, you know, just a stunning guy. Yeah. So, so Dermot's doing that, and he's in, as you said, The Death of Stalin, which is a huge hit everywhere. Yeah. Very strange film, I think you'll agree. But what what made you go to see it? Well, so uh, we actually got like a press screening invite to it. And also I love, the director does Veep. I don't know if you've ever seen Veep on HBO here with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yes. And so he's, so that was kind of my big thing because I love Veep. And I was like, oh, if he's doing a movie, I'd love to see it. And it was, it was a great little surprise for me. I really, really enjoyed it. Good, good. Well, I do urge people to see it. It's a very strange title, you know, The Death of Stalin. Right. You think not a lot of laughs, but uh, <laughs> see it. But there's a few in there, right? Yeah, and very appropriate title, too. <laughs> so. so this photograph I've got made by Mike from, from NASA in America, uh, it's got all the, all the Moncals, all the extras, and it's got Caroline and Dermot and Tim Rose. So I've seen this multi-signed by, by people, and it just looks stunning. Again, when people go to my thread, they'll see what I'm talking about there. Caroline, yes, in this photograph, the reason why I'm talking about it, it looks like Caroline and I are like six feet apart. Mm-hmm. We weren't. You know, I could have touched her on the shoulder. <laughs> I think it looks like we're far apart because it's a screen grab mm-hmm. and it's sort of elongated sideways, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. But, but I can remember the director saying to Caroline, who was in the theater, she was working in the theater while filming, and she would do what we all do who work in the theater, and then you come to film or TV, and you go, many both arms have died to bring you... You know what I mean? Yeah. It would be big, big theater voices. Mm-hmm. And the director, I was close enough to her to hear Richard Marquand say, bring it down, darling. Very good, just bring it down. <laughs> you see what I mean? Meaning, don't speak so loudly. Right. So she eventually brought it down and down and down and down. So so much that we couldn't hear her. So we don't react. <laughs> you know, if you watch that, there's these, I'm a tall Moncal behind her. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, one, there's one on either side of me, much smaller. And, you know, we couldn't hear what she was saying, so we couldn't react. But again, from this little book that we talked about, mm-hmm. that you've got on your shelf, The Making of Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, it says that Caroline was called back to dub her lines oh, wow. uh, because when they were editing, they could hear pigeons in the rafters, <laughs> in the roof. Uh, so she had to go back in weeks later and, and redo her lines. So we've talked about it a few times, and I'd love to officially talk about it. The The Rebel Scum thread, I'm not going to understate this or overstate this, is probably one of the most unique pieces of, of Star Wars history, in you know modern internet history at least, where it's it's a an actor from Star Wars directly interacting with the fans and giving just incredible information. And so I'd love for you to, to talk a little bit about it and how fans can actually go and uh, look at it. Because really, the amount of information you've poured into that thread over the years, you know, you can spend a whole day reading through it and looking at all the images and call sheets because you've really put together something really, really cool. Oh, Brandon, thank you for saying that. Thank you so much, because I do put a lot of time into it. Mm-hmm. And what you just described it as, it I didn't set it out. I didn't set out for it to be any kind of historical document. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started my thread in Rebel Scum, by the way, it's called ROTJ History, Return of the Jedi History, ROTJ History, Gerald Holmes Creature Info. So if people Google any of those words, they'll find it. And we'll include a link as well in the in the description and stuff so people can go directly to it if they want to. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been going for nearly seven years now, yeah. I think. So there's a ton of information. And some of it changed with time. Obviously, the past 30, 35 minutes, we've kind of seen, 
your incredible memory of the actual set has been just the biggest asset, I think, because especially autograph fans for Star Wars are almost a breed of their own fan, right? Where it is very important to get that right, right? You're signing the yes. correct person and you're not, you know, ruining a huge multi-shot or, or something that's important to that fan and that autograph collector. And so, um, again, I think the service you provide and the stories you provide are just an important um, added part of the Star Wars history now. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. But, uh, yeah, again, three tangents. I just went off with three chat tangents. First of all, what you guys, especially you English-speaking guys, mm -hmm. guys who for whom English is your native language, mm -hmm. you don't realize that the thread is probably read by as many non-English speakers, non-native English speakers. You know, I know people in France and Poland and uh, Chile and Mexico, mm -hmm. all over the place. So I've got to be very careful about the language I use. Right. Uh, that's why very often I'll post something. And Brandon, sometimes it takes me hours just to do one post. And then I'll look at it online and I think, no, that's <laughs> two words, make the sentences shorter. Yeah. I don't mean patronize, the, 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 but just make so there's, I try to make it so there's no ambiguity in my words. Uh, so that's why I'm very, very aware of, of the followers, people who read these of things. Course. But, yeah, the reason why I did it, the reason why fans asked me to do it in the first place was historical accuracy. I think we need, we owe it to history. We owe it to Star Wars fans, especially the ones who pay money for autographs, to be as accurate as possible. Exactly. And honestly, my, my dream one day is all of this incredible stuff put into a book or put into something that just a physical version of it with all these great pictures and, and anecdotes. Because, again, oh. as, as a big fan of especially the behind-the-scenes Star Wars stuff, it is, it is a real treasure. So we'll, we'll link to it and make sure everyone can see it because, yeah, it is, a, it is a big Thank deal. Um, so now that we're kind of closing down, I'd love to talk about what's in, in the future for you and, and where can fans find you besides the Rebel Scum thread and how they can interact because I know you're such a big presence in the Star Wars fan community and I'd love everyone to, to have a chance to meet you or interact with you. Oh, that's kind. Thank you. Thank you. There is a link on my website. Uh, people can contact me by email through my website, mm -hmm. which is www.geraldhome.com and, of course, through Rebel Scum. But I think they have to join at a Rebel Scum they if join, they want. yeah if they want to post on the thread and if they want to PM, mm -hmm. uh, private message me. But I am contactable, you know, and lots of people do. Uh, if people aren't on Rebel Scum and they don't want to join Rebel Scum, mm -hmm. contact me through my website. Although I don't, I don't see why they wouldn't want to join Rebel Scum. I've been on Rebel Scum for probably 10, 15 years at this point, and it's been just... That is that is the original kind of Star Wars hub, I feel like, of of the fans and of the of the community, so... I always, I always like going back. If they want to email me, mm -hmm. again, you know, they can get that through my website. It's calamarymen <laughs> at yahoo.co.uk. Calamarymen at yahoo. But they can find that on my website. Right. That's great. Um, so uh, that's very exciting news. And, and we'll be refreshing frantically to see when the next time you come to Texas is. Because we'll stop by again and, and talk oh, I love for it. another couple hours. Uh, but um, again, I really appreciate your time and, and sitting down with us or over Skype, at least, to, to talk through some of these stories. And I'm really looking forward to having everyone else hear them, at least online. Thank you so much, Brendan. Thank you. And, and by the way, I love the name of your of your uh, podcast, <laughs> Talking Bank 94. I had to Google what it meant, but, but I love it. It's very clever. No, I had to, you know, it took a while. That was probably the, the biggest uh, roadblock between starting this podcast. I had, to, I had to make sure that there was a good 
a good Star Wars associated name behind it. So, well, uh, Gerald, thank you again um, for talking to us. And, and we really look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Brandon. Take care. May the force be with all your listeners and with you and with Talking Bay 94. that's it for this episode of Talking Bay 94. Thanks for tuning in, and really I just want to thank Gerald Holm for his generous time and incredible stories. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I hope you did too. For autographs and appearances with Gerald, you can go to geraldholm.com. We'll also be linking to the sites we talked about during this conversation, including his incredible creature history forum on rebelscum.com. Our next episode takes it back to the beginning with an interview from the father of the lightsaber, Roger Christian. So stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and force me with you.